take care of it, so I just don't want anyone to miss out on it because of finances. That's the married couples retreat. Ken Ortiz from Calvary Chapel, Spokane, is going to be down speaking. He's excellent. Um, our tape ministry could use some volunteers for the second service. And so if that's something that you'd be willing to, they'll train you. It's not anything really complicated, but just to help out back in the tape room. You could talk to Denise back there if you're willing to chip in and help out a bit uh, for second service. Our GTO, Gospel Training Outreach, and Go Street Witnessing Ministry are going to be meeting on Friday, September 15th at 6.30 over in the junior high room. Um, if you'd like some training on how to share your faith with people or you just want some people to go out with to be able to witness and share the gospel, they'd love for you to participate. You can talk to RJ. There's information, I believe, in the foyer if, you're, if you'd like to jump on this opportunity. Again, that's September 15th. Um, the Singles Ministry is having their annual Labor Day barbecue and pool party our singles ministry has been going really well. I've heard so much good about it. It's been a blessing this summer. And uh, so they're having a pool and barbecue party on Monday, September 4th, starting at 2 o'clock. There is a flyer in the foyer. So if you're single or you just like barbecue and swimming, you're welcome to come out for it. Get the information in the foyer. On Tuesdays, starting in September and going through November, we're doing a, a special men's uh, wake-up call, it's called, over at the Corner Bakery, which is down there by Home Depot, like La Paz and, and uh, Pacific Park. And from 7 to 7.45, you men are invited to stop off and, you know, have a cup of coffee, and they're just going to be reading the Word and talking about it and spending time in prayer. You don't have to be there the whole 45 minutes, just stop in on your way to work or something and spend some time with some brothers. So again, that's in September through November at the Corner Bakery. Uh, first one is September 5th. And uh, then on September 16th, we're having a Saturday morning class in basic biblical counseling. It's just a one-unit thing. We don't know that much about counseling, so we can, Kenny and I can pretty much cover it in four hours. But, uh, you know, counseling is something that a lot of times we feel that it's to be left to the professionals. In reality, most of what good counseling is is just being what a good friend is. And so there are certain principles whereby we can help others. We'd love to see people in the body who feel comfortable and equipped to be able to share with those who are having a hard time or who are struggling. You all, I get calls all the time from people who they have a friend who's going through a hard time and they just like to know a little bit about what they can say and what they shouldn't say and what scriptures to use and those kinds of things. And so we've decided just for that uh, September 16th in the morning, 9 to 12, and we're just going to spend some time talking about that. So if you're interested in being equipped or if you need some counsel but you don't like to admit it, you can come and pretend like you're doing it for someone else. But... Uh, <laughs> Just to go over some of the basics of Christian counseling, it's not a full course in psychology or anything like that. It's, it's just simply, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, how can we be there for each other and encourage each other? So that's Saturday, September 16th. And then there's a Mexico Women's Conference for Calvary Chapel T. Iwana and Calvary Chapel Pedregales, and their ladies have a one-day conference on Saturday, September 23rd. 
And as in the past, some people from our church are going to go down and help out with that conference, watching their, the ladies' kids and do, helping in the parking lot and doing whatever is necessary. So men or women, if you're available to help out that day, some people will meet here and carpool down, leave very early in the morning and come back in the, in the early evening. So there's a sign-up sheet. You don't need to speak Spanish in order to do it. Sign up in the foyer or talk to Kathy Bailey for more information. That's uh, Saturday, September 23rd. On Wednesday nights, we've been going through, as we're going through the Bible, we're in the book of Proverbs, and, and I'd really encourage you to come out for those Wednesday night studies. It's been great just soaking up God's wisdom from this wisdom book. On Sunday mornings, we're going through the book of Galatians, and Galatians has been a great companion to Proverbs because Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It's talking about how to acquire wisdom and how important wisdom is, and then giving us practical advice. Galatians has been telling us what the Christian life is supposed to be like and how we are to live it, what it means to walk in the Spirit. And so I've loved having these two books together. They, they're so very compatible. This morning, we will be in Galatians chapter 6. We're moving toward the end of the book, Last week we started chapter 6, and over the next couple of weeks we'll be finishing Galatians and moving on to some other book, but this morning we're going to look at Galatians 6, verses 6 through 10. You want to get that, Stacy? <laughs> it might be for me. I gave him your number. and One time at Calvary Costa Mesa, um, somebody's phone went off kind of loud, and Chuck really kind of you know, laid into people in general about, you know, turning off your cell phones. And I had six of the seven digits dialed for Chuck's wife Kay's cell phone, and then I just go, I better not do it. Because <laughs> I knew it was on. <laughs> but uh, Galatians chapter 6. And we're looking this morning at one of the most basic laws of life. It's a spiritual law, but it's a law of nature as well. As much as, as much as the law of gravity, this is true. And it's the law of sowing and reaping. What you sow, that you're going to reap. And, and Paul talks about this here because in living the Christian life, it's important for us to understand this principle. And yet there's something in our nature that causes us to deny this principle, to act like it's a surprise that what we sow, we're going to end up reaping. Now I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you in your life have ever owned a guitar or tried to play a guitar? Raise your hand. Come on, be honest. Okay, now of all those, how many of you feel competent to get up on the stage and play it this morning? <laughs> oh, come on, Bob. <laughs> now, why is it that, and you watch two great guitar players like Bob and Terry play, and, and you just go, wait a minute, I had a guitar. Some of you had guitars that cost a lot more than theirs but you can't play it. And why is that? Because you listen to someone play the guitar and go, boy, would I love to be able to do that. Man, I bet the girls would really be impressed with that, or I bet I could hit it big and be a rock star or something. But in reality, you start playing it for a while, and people make it look easy, but it's not that easy. 
You look at it and go, well, you know, I tried playing the piano with 88 keys, but hey, a guitar just has six strings. That's got to be easy. If you've ever tried to play a banjo, you find out that's even more difficult. But you look at it and go, that's something I want to do. But how did these guys and other people who are proficient at the guitar, how did they get to where they are in terms of their ability to play that instrument? It was hundreds and hundreds and thousands of hours in the bedroom working over and over again, learning to play every little nuance of the instrument, listening to tape recordings of other people playing and slowing it down so that you can memorize it, downloading guitar tablature and just learning one note at a time just to learn the introduction to Stairway to Heaven or, you know, so, or that little cool introduction to Fire and Rain. You know, it's like, oh, hours and hours just to do that to impress people. And then to be able to play spontaneously takes much more of an investment. Now, here's the deal. In every area of life, that's the way it works. If you want to get somewhere, you have to pay the price that it takes to get there planting seeds that will end up blossoming. But we so often in our flesh, if I can't get there immediately, then I'm not going to pay the price that it takes to get there. I could have asked the question, how many of you have ever had a Spanish class? And then you could raise your hand, and then I would say, okay, how many of you are capable of leading in prayer, coming up here and praying in Spanish? Probably not that many of you. And it's just cheating if you're a native Spanish speaker. <laughs> but what's the deal? We all take Spanish. None of us know Spanish. We can understand little bits and pieces, you know. Oh, we, we know enough Hebrew to, to read El Shaddai off the thing. But how many people really even know what El Shaddai means? I do. But, um, <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you. You need to go study for yourself. But here in Galatians 6, Paul takes this principle and he says, don't be deceived. God isn't mocked. Whatever a person sows, that he's going to reap. And this principle is it's critically important for us. On the one hand, it's incredibly empowering, really, to me. Because so often we feel like victims. We feel like our life is just out of control, and we just get whatever comes to us. You know, as Forrest Gump said, life is like a box of chocolates. You know, but it isn't. It's not that way. The truth is, I have an opportunity, and I have the ability and the capacity to make decisions with my life in a way that will affect my future. Because what I sow, I'm going to reap. Now, that isn't an absolute power, because certainly there are issues in life that are outside of our control. But the truth is, so much of my life and my future is within my control. God gave me that. It's why the end of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, because with the power of the Spirit, with a relationship with God, we can determine a great deal of what's going to happen in our future. And at the same time, that that's empowering, it's also frightening, because we have to come to grips with the fact that the truth is, my future is being decided right now by what I decide. Because what I sow, I'm going to reap. 
And so this principle is on the one hand encouraging because I can make a difference in my future by what I do today, but at the same time, it's also frightening and can be discouraging because when I look at what I do today and think that's going to determine my future, oh no. This afternoon, you have a, the same amount of time as everyone else has to do whatever it is that you're going to do. Hey, you can do whatever you want with your afternoon within reason and to a point. You can't fly to the moon, but you have a piece of time. Now, there are a couple of easy options for what you're going to do today. The truth is, if you want, sounds good to me, you can go home and flop down, kick your feet up, get a big bag of Doritos and some dip, and you can watch a preseason football game where it doesn't count for anything and the starters hardly play. And you can spend your afternoon watching a game that doesn't matter and filling your stomach with Doritos. And I don't know why, but it just seems like a good thing to do on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon. And I probably will lay enough of a guilt trip on myself that maybe I won't do it today, but it's the first thing that comes to my mind as to what I want to do when I get home. I could also go home and work out, have a gym right down the street, have a membership. I could go over there and run on the treadmill for a while, lift some weights, maybe go down and take a long walk on the beach and, and you know, eat a salad. <laughs> you know, yeah, right, that's going to happen. <laughs> now, which scenario is most likely to happen in my life? I'll leave that to your imagination. But I guarantee you, if I go with the Doritos and preseason football choice, it's not going to make me feel better in the long run. I'm not going to always go, I'll never forget that 46-6 to game where the fourth string of this one team beat the fifth string of the other team. Man, that was, those Doritos were good. It's the best bag of Doritos I ever ate. The ice cream chaser was awesome too. It was just, man, I'll never, I've never felt so good in my life. Now, chances are, even within a couple of hours, even by the end of the game, I'm going to go, that wore me out. What a waste of time. How, what, a, what a stupid thing to do with my life. On the other hand, if I went out and got some exercise, I'm going to feel a lot better. So why is it that we eat more Doritos than weights that we lift? It's because we don't understand this principle. We don't understand deferred gratification. The idea of doing something now because it's going to pay off somewhere in the future. A baby doesn't understand deferred gratification. If they're hungry and they start screaming, they don't stop screaming because they see you heading to the refrigerator or they hear you telling them, I'll be there in just a minute. They are going to cry until you meet that need. Until the milk is in their mouth, they're not happy. They don't understand deferred gratification. But so often, we never grow out of that either. And we don't get to the point where we recognize, you know, there are some things that you do, that you do them because you know down the road, this is going to define my life in a way that couldn't happen otherwise. All you have to do to see the wisdom of this is to look at where your life is now and begin to think, and don't do it for too long because it's depressing, but imagine where you could be right now, what you could have, what your life could be like if you had invested in the past in a way that's different than the way that you did. 
But the law of sowing and reaping, it's choices today have consequences for tomorrow. Now, we so often don't learn this law because we've devised a lot of shortcuts to avoid it. Uh, look at the way, and I've been outspoken about this in the past, look at the way we do school. We don't teach sowing and reaping for the most part. School operates, the way we teach operates based on the law of cramming. That's the law of the school. It's like, hey, don't learn it today because the test isn't today. What you need to do is the night before a test, you dump all this information into your head and, you know, hold your ears and hold your nose and don't let any of it leak out. Run into class and grab it and was like, hurry, hurry, take the test fast before I forget this stuff. A day later, a test that you got an A on, you get an F on. How much did you really learn? How much did you as teachers really learn when you were students as to why now you need to have the answers in the back of the book in order to be a teacher? See, that's the way we do it. We like, we don't learn. No one gives a comprehensive exam anymore, an exam that covers the whole semester. What if, you, what if all of your exams could cover anything that you've ever learned? <gasps> You'd find out either I need to start learning better, something's wrong. But life is that way, you see. It isn't cramming, and yet we think we can. You know, you got your marriage is terrible. You don't put any time or effort into it, but that's cool. I think we'll stay married until the marriage retreat. Then we'll get a little burst of energy. Things will be better. A little romance. Everything will be fine until the next marriage retreat. Same thing with your kids. You don't hardly know who they are, no time with them, but, man, all of a sudden they're in jail, and now it's like, okay, I'm going to spend a day with you. You can't just cram with relationships. It takes years of planting seeds in order for something good to come out. If you all of a sudden realize, you know, I'm so lonely, I don't have any friends, so you run out and try to make a bunch of friends, you make friends over a period of years, years of investing in other people's lives and then recognizing that now you're beginning to reap the results. There are some people that you know would watch your back, that would care about you, who will always be there for you. But we are torn constantly with trying to fix things immediately, which is the law of school, or realizing that I need to invest for the future, and that's the law of sowing and reaping. Beginning with verse 6 here in Galatians chapter 6, Paul says, Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. The fact that he says don't be deceived means that there's a good chance that we can become deceived. But he says you can't fool God. This is the way it works. On a farm, you plow the land. You find the right time of year to plant the seed. You cover it up. You continue to cultivate, to water, and to wait. And eventually, a crop is going to grow up. Now, being a farmer can be scary. 
because strong winds can come along and destroy your crops. A bad freeze can destroy your crops. A, a dry year, drought can destroy your crops. So you're taking a chance, but if you don't plant the seed and do what you need to do, it's guaranteed you're not going to grow a crop. But being a farmer, when you have some bad years, can be really frustrating because sometimes it just seems like, well, the enemy of all this is time. It takes time. You can't just go out there the night before harvest and plant seeds and water it and then dig it back up and, wow, look at that, you've got food. It takes time. And you have to plant at the right time and you have to be willing to wait. And it's foolish to believe that without waiting, without being patient, and without putting the work in that's necessary, that somehow your life is going to turn out great. Waiting for that magic wand to say, all of a sudden, everything has turned around, and now it's all fine. The exhortation for us is to understand you can't fix today by what you do today, but by what you do today, you can fix tomorrow. You can fix down the road. Today, you're living with the, the crop that came forth from what you planted in the past, but you can start planting now and watering now and waiting now and being patient. There's no quick fixes. There's no instant gratification from doing the right thing. It's about being patient. And so as he develops this principle, he applies it in a few different areas. <clears throat> the first one in verse 6, where he says, Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Now this is talking about supporting ministry. Saying, I understand that I am being ministered to, and I want to take part in that by participating with whatever I can do and whatever I can give. Earlier in the chapter, as he was emphasizing, we're all on the same team. We're in this together. It's a team effort. It's the body. It's how it works. And now he says, you know, it's important for you to be able to, if you're going to be taught, if you're going to receive the word, you need to support that which and those who make it possible for you to receive the word. Now, this isn't really comfortable for me to talk about because the last thing I want to sound like is that, you know, I'm trying to hustle you to get you to give more money to the church or something like that. It sounds like, you may not realize this, but I'm not paid on commission, but it sounds like, you know, oh, I want you to give more money to the church. That's really not my concern at all. You'll never hear me laying a trip on you about you need to give more, you need to give 10% or whatever. I, I say give as God shows you in your heart. And, I, and, and you should be giving to the Lord's work if the Lord's work is ministering to you. If it isn't, by all means, don't give. And don't give if you feel like someone's twisting your arm. But at the same time, this principle is here. Now, why is it laid into this kind of a format with the law of sowing and reaping? Well, sometimes to give to the Lord's work to support His work seems like it's not working. In fact, it's sort of frustrating to have to pay to give when I could be using that money for something better for myself at this point, when it seems like it's going towards something that's just not very exciting or dramatic. 
Oh, if there was someone that, you know, I brought up to the front and said, hey, they're having a hard time and who can chip in some money for them? That's kind of easy because you see instant gratification. Here you go, you help them right now. But something, as we're going through right now, as we're, as we're in the process of purchasing a building, that doesn't seem that exciting. We're going to be spending about the same amount of money every month on the building as we are now, but that one we'll own and this one we rent. Now, you could go, why are we going to all this trouble? Why do I really want to give money for a building? Well, I want to give money to people. I don't want to put it into a building. But what happens down the road when you own a piece of property, and of course here in Orange County it goes doubly so, and there's equity there, and you're able to continue to spend the same money or even less money to provide the building so that we can do what we do as a church and so that we can provide ministry. It's why we're putting a lot of time and money into trying to do this because we realize down the road this is going to really be a good deal and we'll be so glad that we did it. Today we look at our situation and go, I can't believe no one did this before. But now we're trying to do something that's sacrificial now. It is kind of a pain. It's going to be uncomfortable and inconvenient for some of us. And yet, down the road, God's going to use that to spread his kingdom, to allow us to free up more money to support missionaries and to do other things because we're not strapped to a, to a payment where we're just dumping water, money down a well like water. And so that's what we do. But when you look at it, it doesn't seem dramatic at first. For some of you, you go, we're given money so that we can move into a smaller building. And you just go, I don't want to do that. But again, that's so short-sighted. That's so denying and, and, and ignoring the principles that God has for us. Now, I am so proud of you guys, just so that I can say this, the way that you've come up with money, large amounts and small amounts, to just to support our church. And it means a lot to me personally. And I know that God is going to bless it. So I'm not beating you up and we're going to take a special offering after the message. It's, it's just we're in this passage of Scripture, so I have to deal with it. That's all I have to say about it until it comes up in Scripture again. Oh, look, there it is in the next verse. Just kidding. <laughs> now, those of you who are visitors today, we really don't do this every week, but... I have to be honest with what the Word says. And my attitude is like Paul's in Philippians where they had sent him money for the ministry and he had said, you know, I'm happy. I was thrilled. But he said, not because I got paid this month. He goes, I was happy because I know the fruit that is going to abound to your account because of your obedience. He even told them then, he said, you've done this. And he said, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory, which are in Christ Jesus. If you have ever claimed that promise that God's going to provide for all your needs and you're not giving the way God tells you to give, you're taking it out of context. That's a, prophet, that's a promise that's conditional toward planting those seeds. And now I'm done, for real. But it's true. <laughs> so he says, look, don't get tired of giving, because if you give, that's planting seeds that are going to grow. It's, there's going to be a benefit to you, and I believe the benefit will come to you materially, spiritually, in every way possible. When you're obedient to God, He will bless you. Maybe it doesn't seem fair, and maybe you look at your life and go, it sure hasn't worked for me. I heard all those stories about how, yeah, if you do what God tells you to do, then you're going to be blessed, and I'm more broke than ever. Hey, don't sit there and look at the ground and complain because the plant hasn't come up yet. 
water the ground, till the soil, cultivate it, continue to do the right thing. And believe me, God is going to bless you. He will do that, he promises throughout the scriptures. He isn't, don't be deceived, God isn't mocked. Now, in verse 8, as he talks about sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit, two choices, two options of the quality of how you live your life. It's looking back in chapter 5 to the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And he's saying basically this law affects, well, it's like if you plant, you know, apple seeds, you're going to get an apple tree that will grow. You're not going to, if you want an orange tree, don't plant apples. If you want roses, don't plant sunflowers. He's saying the same thing substantially that you plant will eventually result. And so in the area of the flesh and the spirit, again, we see this happening. When I am investing my life in others, when I am caring about others and reaching out to them, if I do that in love with joy and peace and patience, then eternal life springs forth from that. Not just the fact that I'm going to go to heaven, and that's certainly enough. But enjoying eternal life now, John said in 1 John chapter 5, these are written that you would know that you have eternal life. Now, I believe that I will have eternal life in heaven. When I die, I fully intend my last breath on earth will be my first breath in heaven. To be absent from the body, I will be present with the Lord, and I'll be in heaven. And that enough makes it worth sowing to the Spirit because he connects it with eternal life. But not only that, I can have eternal life right now. I can live the life right now that has that kind of quality. But if that's going to happen, it's about sowing to the Spirit. I cannot just sow whatever I want, live my life selfishly, and somehow expect to have eternal life, here or in the future. The truth is living a selfish, fleshly life only indicates that the seeds haven't been planted that result ultimately in the life that God wants. And it's a scary thing to me, it would be frightening to me to look and see here's what the flesh is like and then to realize, you know, pretty much that's the way I live my life. I'm pretty much just doing what I want to do. And then to somehow think that God's going to take care of me in the future. Now, maybe he will. I hope he will. If people are walking in the flesh, but they've given their lives to Jesus Christ, I hope this verse doesn't mean what it seems to indicate. But in case it does, how can I expect to have something spiritual come out of my life if I'm not planting those seeds, if I'm not in the Word of God, if I'm not memorizing it, if I'm not studying it, if I'm not in fellowship with others, if, if God isn't primary in my life, how do I expect that someday my life's just going to turn itself around magically? It's not going to happen. Because if we sow to the flesh, what do we reap? Corruption destruction, devastation. The way to ruin your life is to sow to the flesh. He's been making this case throughout the book of Galatians and saying, you have this thing inside you that causes you to want to do things that are destructive to yourself and others. If you keep doing those things, you will destroy yourself and others. On the other hand, if you have a relationship with God and you're walking in the Spirit and you're letting Him work in your life, something magical happens and Boom, the fruit of the Spirit grows up. But again, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, you go, uh, I give up. I started reading my Bible every day for an hour a day and memorizing five verses a day. 
And I did it for, well, I did it Monday. Tuesday, you know, I slacked off a little. Wednesday, I listened to K-Wave on my way to work. And it's just not working. I still feel lousy. See, don't be fooled. It takes time. It's planning. Building a good relationship with a friend takes time. Building a solid family takes time. Growing in the Lord takes time. A church becoming everything that God wants it to be takes time. And it gets frustrating sometimes, and we can lose heart. There have been plenty of times when I just feel like, God, our church isn't progressing in certain areas the way I would like it to. And God brings me back to here and goes, your church isn't supposed to be everything that I want it to be right now. Your responsibility is to plant the seeds. Let me bring it forth in my timing to become all that I want it to be. And so he says, so to the flesh, corruption. So to the spirit, everlasting life. And now he goes on and again reminds us, don't grow weary while doing good. For in due season, at the right time, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Don't give up. Don't stop doing what you're doing if it's the right thing to do. Don't feel like I tried that and it doesn't work. You know, over in Hebrews chapter 6, there's a really difficult passage to um, interpret. Because he talks about the author of Hebrews, who I believe is Paul, talks about people who it says they've dabbled around the edges. They've tasted of the heavenly gift and the powers of the age to come. And then it says if they fall away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Now, Hebrews 6 is a problem passage for you no matter what your theological persuasion is. Because if you happen to be a person who, like an Arminian, who believes that you can gain your salvation, lose it, gain it, lose it, you can get saved every week, then Hebrews 6 is a real problem for you because it says if you lose it, you can never get it back. It's impossible. On the other hand, for a Calvinist or someone who is strong, eternal security, once saved, always saved, you have to explain why it seems like this guy has a relationship with God and, and now they've fallen away. So no one loves the passage. Everyone spends their time in Hebrews 6 trying to explain why it doesn't mean what it seems to mean. Frankly, I don't know exactly what it means, but here's what I've observed in people's lives that looks a lot like this. You dabble in Christianity. Maybe you really get involved for a while. Maybe you're serving God, you're teaching Sunday school, you're witnessing, you're working for Him, and you know, doing the best you can for a while. But you get burned out. You get weary. You're just not getting the results that you had hoped for. And so you just walk away from the Lord. You just fall away and you quit. Well, is it impossible to be renewed to repentance in a case like that? It's very difficult. Why? Because you think, I've already tried that. You know, there's that old saying that when you're looking for something that's lost, it's always in the last place that you look. Of course, it's in the last place. You, you don't find it and keep looking. I better check a few other places. No, when you find it, you found it. But if you've already looked somewhere, what are the chances that you're going to go back and look again? As long as you knew that you looked carefully, you don't. Sometimes you overlook something and keep looking and looking and looking, and then it is originally in the first place you looked. 
I'm afraid that sometimes people do that with the Lord. I know some people who are absolutely convinced that they have experienced everything there is to being a Christian, and it just didn't work. But I don't believe that they've experienced everything there is to being a Christian. And what's the difference? What's the factor that got in the way? It was time. It was giving it enough time for planting the seeds to actually grow forth. I know people who have, you know, walked with the Lord supposedly for six or eight months or a year, and they fell away, and now they look on it as wasted time. How to explain those people or describe them, I don't even try. But I don't know anyone who's walked with the Lord for 30 years who says, boy, what a waste that was. It's always an enriching life if you give it enough time. If you will faithfully plant seeds, you're going to experience a crop. It's going to grow forth. God's going to bless you. And the time that you invest in people and the time that you invest in the kingdom of God and the resources that you give in order to support ministry and to, and to enable people to continue to teach the Word of God, whether pastors, missionaries, or whatever... It's never going to be a waste if you give it enough time. But now he says in verse 10, Therefore, on the basis of all this, let's not lose heart. So therefore, as we have opportunity, that word there for opportunity is the Greek word kairos that, that is usually translated time, and it refers to a point in time. He's saying today, right now, you have a chance. You have an opportunity. This is a critical time. This is the time to plant seeds. There are opportunities that you have today that you will never have again. The efforts that you put in today, doing the right thing today, tomorrow you may not have that opportunity. And so he says, since we have that opportunity, since we have it, the time, now is the time, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Doing good to all. Sometimes I think that we feel like our role on the earth is just to try to convince people that don't believe the way do, we do to believe the way we do. And as a result, we try to reach out to people and we're constantly beating them over the head with the gospel, wanting to get the close like a pushy salesman, you know, just got to close the deal. But, you know, the mandate so often from God is for us to just be good to people, to be good people, to express our love and concern. There are those who would tell you that if you meet someone and you don't share the gospel with them, you wasted an opportunity. But the truth is God gives us opportunities to just do good. God himself causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. God doesn't always catch someone and give them the whole scoop right there. I believe that the church has missed such an opportunity because we've lost sight of the value that comes from just being nice and just being good and loving and not feeling like we have to slam the deal home. As God gives us opportunity, of course we share the gospel. But I think more people would be listening to the gospel if more Christians were out there. People know they're Christians and just know that they're nice people. In fact, they're surprised when we don't hustle them. And we don't feel like we need to get a notch in our belt as we close the deal on them. Hey, doing good. It's what Jesus said when, <clears throat> when Jesus talked about let your light so shine. He said, let your light so shine before men 
that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. When people see good in you, that is a huge picture of God's love for them. And they see that you're a good person. And Jesus warns against hiding it under a bushel. And I think sometimes we might do a little better with people who are already Christians or people that show an interest in the gospel than just to do good just to be doing good. Just to blow people's minds that for once they don't see a, you know, somebody with a Christian bumper sticker on their car cutting them off. But instead they see somebody with a Christian bumper sticker on their car slowing down and motioning, yeah, go ahead and pull in here. Or see someone who has a cross around their neck who says, hey, go ahead of me in line. You've got three screaming kids. It'll be good for you to get through here as fast as possible. Just to be nice. It's what God calls us to do. And it's planting seed. You don't know how that's going to matter in the long run. That someone, even they know how nice you are, and then one time they happen to overhear you talking about the Lord, and they go, I should have known. I should have known that person was religious because they're so nice. But how many people really think that way? Really believe that, you know, the nicest people I meet, they seem to go to church. They seem to be into God, but they don't push them on me. What opportunities we miss because we don't understand that our responsibility is to plant seeds everywhere. The parable of the sower. Not all the seed landed on good ground. But the sower of the seed is represented by Jesus Christ himself. He planted seeds on rocky soil. He planted it along the roadside. He planted it among the thorns. And he planted it on the good ground. And again, that's not just hitting them with the four spiritual laws. It's reaching out in love and concern for others. And so he says, on the basis of this law of sowing and reaping, let's do good to everyone. It's amazing the opportunities that that can bring up for us. I remember a couple years ago on a Sunday afternoon, I was just ready to go down for a nap, as I often do on Sunday afternoons when there's no football. And, uh, <laughs> and I got a call from the police department that there was a guy that died down in Newport House right on the bay there and, and uh, asked if I could go out there. And I go, sure, you know. And as I was driving down there and fighting the traffic on the peninsula and everything, I, I'm going, God, give me a chance to share the gospel with these people. But when I got there, the family was really distraught. The man who died was still there up in his study. More family members were coming, and it was really crazy. And they were kind of foul people. I could just tell, okay, this may not be an opportunity to share the gospel. They were very defensive when they found out that I was a chaplain. It was like, you know, oh, boy, I'm uncomfortable here. But I just did what I could do. I encouraged them and, you know, put my hand on their shoulder, and then I became the guy who, everyone who wanted to go and see the body and pay their last respects, they didn't want anyone walking up there by themselves, and so I would walk with each of them. And so again and again, having to look at a dead body, having to watch the grief over and over again as I walked people up there, I spent like two or three hours doing this, and you know, finally everything was settling down. The coroner got there and took the body away, and so I figured, okay, you know, my job is over. And I felt kind of like, I don't know, why do I do this? Any social worker could have done this. Any neighbor could have done this. But, 
you know, as I was walking out to my car, the family walked out with me, and their neighbor, who was their attorney, also walked with them. And as I went to get in my car, they all began to say, you don't know how much it meant to us that you were here. And I go, oh, great, you know, I'm glad to be. And I'm still feeling like I'm a secular, you know, um, chaplain. I'm not able to share the gospel. And then their lawyer said, oh, hey, one more thing. He goes, you're a, you're a pastor, right? And I said, yeah, I am. And he said, you know, you have been so kind to us, and we all have our issues with religion, but I've never seen anyone who's a religious person who didn't try to shove religion down. You've just been loving. So we were all talking as we walked out here, and could you just give us your spiel? <laughs> And so I did. <laughs> and I thought, God, that's so funny that I'm stepping over a dead body and listening to all this garbage. And then you go, okay, there. Now I'm going to bring something out of it. I got some nice cards from several of the people talking about how God spoke to them in a way that he never had before and they want to enter into a new relationship with the Lord. It was like, Wow. But sometimes you plant those seeds and you do good and you don't see it immediately grow up. But every one of us, when we came to Christ, it was a culmination of a lot of seeds being planted. For some of us, it started maybe as a little kid seeing a manger scene and being captured and, and just overtaken with this thought of God being a baby. And then it was somebody who really loved God who shared with us. And then it was a time when we just felt a sort of warmth. And eventually, all of that works together and brings us into a personal relationship with the Lord. And Paul is saying here, don't be patient, don't be impatient about doing good to people. It's worthwhile. It's always worth it. You're planting seeds. It's a harvest. It will end up growing. But you don't have to go out there and cram and make it happen. Just be patient and do what you can do. And you'll see what God will do as a result. He's in control. He can work through all of these things. And so just in general, again, plant seeds by just being good to people. Just be nice, caring, giving to someone. Every once in a while when you see somebody who's out on the street and looks like a bum and they're asking for money, just give them money and, and just say, this is from Jesus. I mean, yeah, I know it's probably a bad investment from a financial standpoint, and maybe they're going to go buy booze, but they're going to find a way to buy booze anyway. How do you know that it's not just that opportunity and do this only when God tells you to. But how do you know that it's just like hearing something good about Jesus and nobody's pounding them for it or dragging, okay, well, if you'll go to church with me for five weeks, then I'll, you know, buy you some booze. You know, it, it's, you know, no, it's just, hey, here's just some love for you. And that's planting seeds. However God has you do it. It might just be while you're mowing your lawn that you mow your neighbor's lawn too might just mean baking an extra batch of cookies and taking it over to somebody new in the neighborhood or somebody who's having a hard time. And you don't have to put the, all the tracks in with it. They know you're a Christian. You're planting seeds. They'll begin to respect that. And they'll end up glorifying your Father who is in heaven. But he says, let's do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, if we are to be good to everyone, there's also a special 
responsibility that we have toward those who are members of the household of faith, to our Christian brothers and sisters. Sometimes Christians are meaner to each other than they are to outsiders. And sometimes the image that people have of the church is, man, I'd be afraid to become a Christian because then everybody else will be attacking me in the church because I'm not the same kind of Christian that they are. You know, I don't know anything about all this rapture stuff, but all I know is, man, the people that believe in pre sure hate the ones that are mid or post or, you know, and it's like we, we present this image of like, yeah, nobody fights like us Christians. And Paul's going, hey, plant seeds by giving special attention to God's children, to reaching out to them with a special gentleness and love and care. And yes, be willing to just go make a contribution to a cause that isn't specifically Christian. I think it's important that we contribute to things that we don't have an agenda on. There are some great social issues and problems and situations that Christians of everyone ought to be willing to contribute and to help. What a great witness if people would go out and help build a, you know, a house for a poor family with Habitat for Humanity or something knowing that it's not going to, you know, it's not going to be a big splashy thing for Christians. It's just people being nice. But at the same time, how much more should we be interested in investing in and pouring our time and efforts and prayer and energy into things that are for the body of Christ, for people who are in the body of Christ? No one who's a Christian should feel alone. No one who's a Christian should feel like no one cares. No one who's a Christian should feel like nobody's doing anything to reach out to me. Now, sometimes as a Christian, you can start to get a sense of entitlement, and maybe it's time for you to get out there and take care of yourself in some ways. But at the same time, for each of us, our obligation, our responsibility, plant seeds with everyone and especially with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. So here's the thing. What you do today is going to affect someday. What you and I do with our resources, our money, our time, our energy, our efforts, what we do now, this is the time for us to make a better tomorrow. I know that sounds kind of hokey, but don't be deceived. God isn't mocked. This is the way it works. Get busy today. Now is the opportunity. Now is the time. And don't think you can beat the system by waiting until the last second and cramming. It doesn't work that way in spiritual things. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, a glorious, eternal life. So, that being the case, knowing that that's what God says, that what we do today is going to affect our future and other people's future, then he says, so don't get tired. This is going to take time. This isn't easy. It's not an overnight thing. Give it the time that it takes for God to develop the picture of what he wants to do through us. Don't grow weary in well-doing and doing the right thing. There might be some of you who have just been doing the right thing and you're starting to wonder whether it's really worth it because other people aren't doing the right thing. And you know that in your business you could make more profit if you just cheated a little bit made up a few lies. You know that in your life, your social life would really perk up if you weren't such a moralist. You know, you look and just go, I look at the prospects of godly 
men or women, potential relationships. And I started thinking, I don't know, I did better than this at the bars before I was a Christian. And you just feel like, maybe if I compromise a little bit. Okay, I don't have to get married to a really godly person. Missionary dating works sometimes. I find someone with potential. They fall in love with me, and eventually, of course, they're going to be drawn to the Lord, you know, as a result. Because you just get tired, and you start to doubt, and you think, Being good just doesn't pay. But he would say, give it time. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. You will reap if you don't faint. Paul over in 1 Corinthians 15, after he talked about the resurrection, our resurrection bodies, this corruptible must put on immortal, this mortality must put on immortality. He says, death swallowed up in victory. And then he goes at the end there in verse 58, 1 Corinthians 15. He said, therefore, talking about life, death, and resurrection, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Another way of putting that is hang in there. It's going to pay off. It works. Sowing will lead to reaping. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for all the people who are here today who are sowing to the Spirit. They're walking with you. They're loving you, doing the right things, giving and serving in every opportunity they have. And Lord, I thank you for them. But I realize that for some of those people, they're getting tired. They're starting to wonder if it's ever really going to pay off. So God, please encourage them today to stay on track, to continue to be obedient, to continue to follow you. And I thank you for your guarantee, your promise, that they'll reap an incredible life. Lord, there are some other people here who they're deceived and they think they're fooling you. They're sowing to their flesh and somehow they're figuring one of these days they're going to become spiritual. Lord, their future is being robbed by their present. God, I pray that you'll help them to understand this principle, that they will begin to sow, to obey, to give, to serve, knowing that that is what will give us a glorious future. We know that you, for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross, despising the shame. And now you're at the right hand of the Father. That's where we want to be, as close to you as we can be. So help us to know where we need to sacrifice. Help us to know what we need to plant. Lord, help us to have insight into how we can determine our future by being obedient to you. And Lord, we just thank you for the fact that you give us the opportunity to participate in what you want to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. If there's anyone here today who's never really given their life to Jesus Christ, this planting and reaping it doesn't start with putting your money in the offering plate we don't want your money 
God doesn't, he's, he doesn't care about your money, but he wants you because he wants to bless you. And for you, planting the seeds that are going to give you a better tomorrow, it could start today by opening your life to Jesus Christ, by allowing him to give you a fresh start. Your life is messed up because of sin, but Jesus Christ died for your sin. And he rose again, and he promises you a glorious tomorrow. You can start over right now. Maybe you've been sowing radically to the flesh, and now you're starting to realize what that means in terms of reaping. You could start over right now. And it won't fix every problem that you have immediately, but I guarantee you down the road you're going to be so glad that you began to sow to the Spirit. It's the right thing to do. It's the only thing that will guarantee a glorious future for you. And I encourage you, get right with God today. There will be people in the prayer room right over here on this side who would just love to pray with you and introduce you to Jesus Christ. You can start over.